You're listening to Radio Sega, and this is the Sega Lounge. Sit back, have a drink, and enjoy the conversation. Tonight on the Sega Lounge, Julian Melfeld and Sam Mellon. Join us at radiosega.net slash community slash chat. And now, here are tonight's hosts, SSF1991 and KC. Hi guys. That will never get old. Or you can 
Based on the IRC client I have up, we have voice, we have any in version 2. I don't know why he's version 2. Um, I need I need Why do I always get his name wrong? I don't know why. I feel bad. Uh, we have some guy called SSF 1981. Um, we have 20. We have Trigon. We have Low 21. We have underscore Spondy. We have CTR. We have, I hope I can get this right, Chug uh, Nussy, I do believe. Yes. And we have Trekkie. So hi everyone that's uh, currently listening to us through the IRC right now. Hello, hello. Uh, anyway, I think we've been joined by uh, Julian and Sam. Am I right? Yes. Hey guys. How's it going? Hello, hello. It's a pleasure to have you on the second round. Yeah, we're really happy to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting us. Thanks for it's going to be great. You'll be talking about, as I was saying earlier, we'll be talking about uh, your own career in the video game industry, your job at Sega, we'll be talking about the Sega Classic. But before that, uh, we have a little segment on the Sega Lounge called Donnie's News Corner, uh, where Donnie, SSF, also known as SSF1991, well, in in the past week, unlike unlike last week where we did have quite a bit to speak about, this week it isn't really that eventful in terms of the um, amount of subjects in terms of news. But probably the most um, biggest event was probably the the, the the avalanche of Sonic Boom news that we got. Um, of course, we, I'm sure uh, you're quite aware about the new character reveal named Lyric. Um, we now have these subtitles to Sonic Boom being Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric on Wii U and Sonic Boom Shattered, Shattered, uh, Shattered Crystal on 3DS. And we now know that the both versions will be out on November 2014. So... There's been quite a development with Sonic Boom in the past week, and I'm sure when E3 comes about next week, yeah, who knows? I don't know if, if Julian and Sam are aware of the news. I guess they don't know anything about Sega. <laughs> it's, it's nice wow. that they can wow. uh, come here and be. You think about Sega news, right? Is, is this how you treat our guests, sir? Oh, you know me, you know me. <laughs> Actually, uh, I, I will admit that uh, uh, the fact that Lyric has been announced, uh, I just found out about that. that so. Yeah, we're usually off so. Often when the news releases do go out, it's exciting to see all the hard work the other teams have been kind of uh, working on behind the scenes. And when it, it goes out, we get to see the finished product it, yeah. as well. So. Yeah. But thanks for that update. I feel like I'm uh, definitely on top of Sega News this week now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's what, what we call Sega Education. It's what we on Radio Sega. Let you put the people on uh, Sega. So, you're welcome. Now you know where to get my Sega News. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. 
So there's that. Anything else that you want to yes. add, um, Tony? Um, none that I uh, I'm aware of. Okay, so there's that. Right, Tony Cool News, and we'll be waiting on each week to learn more about the two games, the 3DS version and the Wii version. Uh, yeah, so that was Donnie's news corner for the week. Uh, <laughs> it's an awesome name for this segment. Uh, Donnie's news corner. Anyway, it's time to have the first music break of the week. As you know, as you probably know if you listened to last week's show, um, the music that we play during the Sega Lounge, uh, all the tracks are picked by the guests. So this week we have tracks picked by uh, Julian and Sam. And we will start off with a request by Sam, who asked us to play something from Hatsunemiku Protective Arcade. This is uh, the YouTube version of Magical Sun Shower. And next up we have Animal Logic, from Future Bridge to by Julian. So let's take a listen. We'll be right back to uh, have a chat with Julian and Sam. Don't go anywhere.
is the Sega Lounge on Radio Sega. Come on in and have a seat. This is the Sega Lounge with myself, Casey, and SSF1991, uh, aka Donnie. Donnie! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, always a good excuse to, to play that sound effect. Um, yeah, so we're joined this week by two special, very special guests. We, we, we're here with Julian Melfold and Sam Mullen. So, so, hello to you guys hello. once more. Hello again. Yeah. Hey guys. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I hope uh, everyone can hear us right now. I think I, I fiddle with the settings, so everyone should be able to hear our voices okay right now. I think, I hope. If not, let us know so we can try something else. But I think it's we're good. Uh, yeah, ju- uh, anyway. Judging by the IRC, we are good. We are good. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 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 So let's uh, get this interview going, shall we? Let's uh, talk to Julian and Sam. So, uh, do you guys want to introduce yourselves to everyone listening? Sure. Uh, my name is Julian Melfeld. I'm community manager here at Sega of America, and uh, kind of supporting Sega wide and all our efforts online, uh, in person, socially at events. Uh, do a lot of work with our blog or Twitter or Facebook. Um, most oftentimes, if you're interacting with uh, someone on an official Sega channel. It's either myself or uh, Kelly Parker, who uh, you may know as well as one of our other community members. So, uh, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. my quick control. Yep, one to Sam. So, uh, my name's Sam Mullen. Um, I'm a localization producer here at Sega of America. Um, I primarily work on games that are coming out of Japan or being developed in Japan. 
um, and my specialty is bringing that stuff out out of Japan and out overseas um, and making sure it gets out to you guys in North America specifically. Nice. So, um, were you Sega fans before joining the company? Yeah, definitely. The reason I'm working at this company is because uh, many years ago I bought a Dreamcast. Almost 15 years ago I bought a Dreamcast. And uh, it was a total, I mean, I don't want to be kind of hokey about it. It was a game changer for me. Like, I started playing games all over again and really appreciating games. And was just like looking at media all the time and just made a choice right then and there. I had to work at this company. Um, so... Any way I could, I found ways to, to work in and around games. I've actually got a shot working in company, and uh, I've been here ever since. So I'm going on my going on my tenth year here at the company. So, awesome. so, so for myself, um, I I wasn't necessarily a, a Sega fan. Um, I work there. A lot of people here are like huge, have huge Sega, you know, backgrounds. And sometimes I feel like the a little bit of an outsider because I didn't necessarily have that that same background, but. Um, I did. I did start to appreciate Sega content, um, you know, well before I entered the company. Um, just from talking to other other uh, people within the industry, um, and so when I had the opportunity to join, it was really you know exciting. Um, it seems like every time I move from company to company, I'm exposed to a whole another set of different types of content and different types of uh, people with uh, different kinds of like gaming backgrounds and whatnot. And so being able to work here at Sega with so, so many passionate people, um, it's definitely rubbed off on me. I would call myself a Sega fan for sure now. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, another question for both of you: When and how did you join Sega? Uh, this is Julian here. I started again, like in 2005. I think it was 2005. I was uh, I worked in QA for a little bit. It was uh, quality assurance, which is uh, bug testing, which is um, basically playing the same game every day for eight hours a day uh, until you're. You're well done with that title. <laughs> but then logging bugs and uh, finding out ways to kind of like make the game as, as good as possible for when folks do eventually pick it up themselves. Uh, it's a really interesting job and actually working closely with uh, your producers and your development team, uh, getting a lot of insight into how a company kind of like Sega uh, works, how gaming works. Um, and then from there, I ended up bouncing around through different places and came back to work at Sega working on one of the titles I tested, uh, Fantasy Star Online. Uh, Blue Burst and then went into uh, other titles from there uh, before we started the kind of community track uh, that we have here for uh, all things kind of Sega games and gaming rather than just kind of our MMO stuff at the time. Yeah, because there, so, there, there, uh, there wasn't a community team at the time, right? Uh, we started, there wasn't really a community team. There was folks that were supporting within our forums and stuff like that. That um, it, It's interesting, there wasn't a whole lot of spaces uh, for community development as there are now. We have Facebook and Twitter, and there's everyone's kind of more connected and more involved. Um, when you consider the launch of the Dreamcast was one of the first times consoles actually had an online connection that was utilized more. I mean, the other Sega consoles definitely had them, but... Um, being able to play multiplayer games was like more less of a gimmick and more of like an oncoming trend. Um, so people were definitely in forums, but it was kind of less active. And you know, bringing in for MMOs, where you're going to have like these regular kind of content updates, and you want people to be able to be entertained, but then also feeding back to our developers, making sure the content is good as good as possible, it was really very important. So they brought me in to um, culture, create that kind of culture uh, within the MMO, uh, Fantasy Star Online. Blue first uh, for the PC at the time, and then 
yeah, it just kind of like developed out of there. It just seemed like a really, as the games were growing, as the titles were becoming bigger and bigger, it became more important to try and establish ourselves within these other spaces. So fans that were outside of the MMO could be like, oh, I'm a fan of Sega, you know, where do I hang out and talk about Sega? Okay, well, we'll create these spaces for you. Um, and it just kind of built and built from there. What about you, Sam? When how did you join Sega? So I, I was brought into the company in, in uh, the very beginning of 2010. Um, basically, they needed um, there was a lot of con Japanese content uh, being worked on at the time. They needed a little bit more manpower, um, so they brought me on. Uh, my very first title at uh, at Sega was uh, Sonic Free Riders, which was particularly challenging but for two reasons. One, it was be kind of being thrown into the the Sonic machine right out the door, which challenging <laughs> to um, and it was it was Sega's first Kinect title and no one had any experience with Kinect because it was a brand new technology and you know Sonic Freeriders was planned to be sort of a launch window title so it, so I was brought on and we had to get that game out in 11 months and so that was extremely challenging because I had to not only learn how to um, work with Sonic property I had to learn this brand new technology as well as um, learning to, you know to kind of flourish in a new organization it was much larger um, uh, than I, you know, in the organizations I previously worked for. So, um, but I've been here. Um, I'm in my fifth, moving through my fifth year now. It's great. Uh, love the people here. It's great fun. Cool. So you worked at Atlas before, right? That's correct. I, my, I, before joining Sega, I worked at Atlas for two, two, two years. Okay, so we all okay. came full circle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very strange. Yeah. <laughs> I had nothing to do with that, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Danny, do you want to ask the next question? Sure. Um, this is particularly uh, directed to uh, Julian. Um, what does your community manager work involve? Um, so many things. Um, from the smallest things to the biggest things. I'll kind of rattle off a couple of them. I won't be able to list them all, so I'll probably forget some. But I'll just give you a sense of like what my like day to day is. Um, so we work on a lot of different products here at Sega, and a lot of different products have different kind of uh, kind of planned content releases as their screenshot updates. Or there's new trailers, or there's new kind of content, and, and, and it's kind of being delivered out uh, through various channels, through you know, various marketing efforts or PR efforts, and. My job is to try and get that that type of content and that type of content that people are looking for uh, out to consumers as well. So PR may say, oh, we've got this trailer, it's going to be great. I'm like, cool, how come we're not talking about this feature or that feature? This is what the, the folks are really asking for. And so we try and uh, integrate that into a, an overarching plan that fits within the cycle of the, uh, the title. Um, so. It's a fair amount of work to kind of get that organized and making sure everybody kind of approves it and like likes it and is comfortable with the plan and there's a lot of work that kind of goes in with that. Um, but then once it kind of goes out, it's making sure that it goes out at the right time, making sure that we're using the right assets, um, making sure that we have basically the best possible experience for our fans uh, when they're touching that content, uh, when they're seeing it. And then after it goes out, making sure that we're reading all the comments, making sure that uh, everything not only within the spaces that we're on, but if the trailer goes out to uh, your joysticks or Kotaku's or whatever, like we're reading it uh, from their perspectives as well, because every community's kind of got a different kind of spin as to how they consume stuff. Um, so I'm reading a lot of different forums, um, sometimes interacting on different boards depending on the type of content, depending on what it is. Uh, I'm also kind of managing spaces as well, so we've got our own forums. Um, 
which is so, sorry to interrupt, but just a quick question. When you actually go on other forums, um, do you go about lurking the forums or do you say, hey, I'm Julian and Sega? It depends. It depends on what's going on. I, I tend to lurk more and just kind of read because I'm more interested in the conversations that are happening without people knowing that I'm there. Like that can sometimes change or shift based on presence. And I don't want to disrupt the conversation. I want the raw input. I mean, I want yeah. the negative. Yeah. I want the positive. I want everything um, because that helps me go back to our group and say, hey. You know, folks really did like this, and here's why. And then, oh man, this was not very well received. Right. The next time, we should try and do something else. And that conversation uh, that folks are having online uh, informs the rest of our company because not everyone's reading forums everywhere, and like we're really well knowledge about that stuff. And we can go back and say, based on our, what we've been reading, our recommendation is to do this. And that's how fans kind of voice filters back into the company is that we're taking that feedback and we're. We're delivering it into our company so that they can uh, be more well informed and create more stuff alongside you guys or for you guys. Yeah, like from the production side, like I often walk over to Julian's desk and I'll be like, I'm like, and I'm like, so what's the internet saying today? And so he'll be like, oh, this or you know they're reacting to this or you know they're happy about this or unhappy about this. So it's you know community is a very very valuable resource because it's it's um, easy to go over and then get sort of an sort of an aggregate. Overview of like what's what's going on without having necessarily you know spend the time to, to dig through the forums and you know, all that type of stuff. So. Yeah. So everyone that's every community website that has a, a message board or forum, be afraid because who knows when Julian is there working. Don't be afraid. Be positive. Just, uh, we're listening. Just know that we're listening. I think that's probably the, under, uh, the underlying thing there. Is yeah. We're out there. Yeah. We're, we're there to support you within Sega as much as we can. Yep. So um, the next question is, again, also directed to Julian. Um, the community team does get some criticism from people and even some of the community websites. How hard is it to deal with that? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's going to give feedback, good or bad. I think that there's a, a healthy discussion to be had about any topic or any game or what have you. Um, but I guess we get, uh, I don't know how to really answer that. I mean, like, sure, there's certain times where things flare up and, you know, people are pitching out bad or negative feedback and, um, you know, we kind of take it in stride. You know, it's not often directed at us necessarily. It's directed back to, you know, company or company decisions or what have you. And you just kind of have to... Uh, Take that in. Uh, acknowledge that you know where folks are coming from, you know, the passions that they have about things, how they're you know, trying to be um, discussing these things with passion, um, and that can kind of take a you know, put it in good context so you understand what folks are saying. It doesn't necessarily really it doesn't get under my skin or anything like that. I think that's the question, but uh, I think it's fine. I mean, people are going to act how they're going to act and they're going to react to things. I want the feedback to be as, as raw as possible, be it positive, be it negative. So, so yeah, okay people with that. can be a little too passionate about the well, so I have, a, <laughs> I have a theory about, uh, about folks who are passionate and just the internet in general. I think the internet gives everyone a voice, right? So everybody's talking at the same time. So a lot of the times the way that people get heard uh, above this kind of layer of noise that everybody's kind of all chatting at is that they make the thing more 
uh, aggressive or angry or uh, in, in order to try and get more attention. Uh, I feel like just upping the hate values kind of like draws more people to that thing and so more people you know argue about it and talk about it because it's offensive or uh, aggressive or what have you. Uh, so I think that hate on the internet is actually just a really distilled form of love. I think that people care about something so deeply that they're making these posts to begin with and that Sometimes they don't express it in the right way, but if you can just kind of filter out what the bad, filter out the bad stuff and kind of get to the core problem, even just even on our pages, engaging people and being like, all right, I understand you're having an issue. And most people are like, well, I didn't expect a response. <laughs> um, here's what I'm actually having an issue with, and you just kind of cut away with that. It, it's unfortunate that people feel the need to try and have that uh, kind of conversation, and I don't always want to reward that by responding to people that, that, that go to that level. But I think it's important to know that not everyone that's uh, angry on the internet is actually angry on the internet. I think it's actually more passionate. Uh, that's an interesting point of view. Yeah. yeah. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. yeah. If, if they didn't really care, they wouldn't be commenting in the first place. They wouldn't be actually writing the stuff in the first yeah. place. The fact is written in such a way is because they're trying to draw attention to their opinion on it. Indeed. But um, but in the, there is another question, and again, it is directed to Julian. Um, there's obviously some rules for what you can and can't discuss with the community. Are those rules set by uh, Sega of America, Sega of Japan, the developers, or all of the above? Uh, that's a tough question. I think you know we have certainly a lot of uh, content that goes out and we're in gaming have like a, uh, well I mean if you follow any gaming company or anything you know that like the, re the reveal of content is kind of deliberate uh, and oftentimes things are discussed when they're like ready to be discussed so there's certain things that we can't you know talk about. A really good example is you're talking about uh, Lyric and everything that launched with uh, Sonic Boom this week certainly not something we could have discussed before but now that the content's out it's something that can be discussed wider by the people that are working on it um, it's not to say that uh, necessarily hiding that stuff, it's just more that we're, we have a plan for when we're going to reveal it so that we can actually have the most information, the best quality conversation around it, uh, and framing it in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah it does. And uh, last question directed to you, Julian, before Sam does get some questions of, of his own. But um, How hard is it to not be able to share things when you already know them? Oh man, totally tough. I mean, I'm sure Sam feels the same way, and he can, he can vibe on that. He gets that stuff way before I do. Um, it's exciting, because you know that when it releases, it's going to be the best possible release of it, and sometimes it's hard to kind of hold back, but you know if you deliver it in line with when stuff is going to go out. Um, again, I mean, we can talk back to the Boom thing, since that was the most, released, most uh, notable thing that just released, is that they have screenshots and they have context and they have information and there's write-ups and there's all this information that's going into it that now you can actually go back and be like, yeah, I'm excited this is happening too, I've been holding out on it for a while, but now you can see everything that's been being worked on. Whereas if you said something early, it would be like, oh, it's a little bit of a leak and like there's not much of a context and they don't know who this is and how it fits into the overall uh, uh, game and everything. Like, So it, it it's... It's both exciting and maybe uh, not as very frustrating. It's kind of more exciting. I'm like I'm ready to be a part of the excitement when it launches, not like I want to tell you about something early because I'm more ready for you to get the full picture. I'm, I'm okay to hold back on that, knowing that you're going to get a better experience. 
I see. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, uh, often, often, you know, when you're in production, you're often uh, exposed to things very, 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 very early. Um, sometimes I actually get access to stuff that hasn't even been announced in Japan. Um, but, you know, we're all professionals, and we can't be going blurting out things on Twitter every time we find a new secret. Uh, so, you know, we just have you learn to kind of like, all right, well, I'm looking forward to when that gets announced, or when we can talk about that, so... So I think it's my turn now, right? Yeah, yeah, it's your turn now. Uh, What is your job as localization producer in Taiwan? Yes, your turn now. Okay, so as a localization producer at Sega, basically we deal with, I deal specifically with, so Julian, like you said, he deals with sort of the, once the users. So I'm specifically uh, restricted to working on the game itself uh, up until essentially when we submit it to like the first party to, for it to get approved and uh, printed onto disc. Um, so uh, I, t- I take it from like uh, often like a concept form, which means like uh, basically we have to go to our execs and say, hey guys, you know, we want to do this game. We think it'll sell this many number, this many units, you know, make this much money. Um, here's here's our justification for why we should do it. Can we do it? And then you know I have to go through the process of trying to convince them that doing something is worthwhile. And if we make a case and they agree, then we get to move forward with it. Um, then I work with the dev teams uh, usually um, to uh, you know get the text translated. Um, if it's a, if it's a localization title of something like Hatsune Miku, which was already you know being built for Japan, then we're going to bring it over here. So I I work with the dev team to get all the text translated. Um, but if it's a game sort of like a, like a Sonic game or something like that where, um, where it's going to be released worldwide all at the same time, well, then I'm involved in the development process very early on. Um, sometimes, you know, the, you know, the Japanese developers, they're, ja- they're developing in Japanese or, you know, with their Japanese teams or whatever. But sometimes they need to have feedback from sort of a Western point of view. And so they'll send us early builds, we'll play them, we'll generate feedback, we'll, you know, give them tips and things like, you know, suggestions on what they should change. And they take that feedback and they roll it in and we do various checks and make sure they're on schedule and all that. So it's a lot of obeying schedules. Um, it's a lot of generating feedback, documentation, um, and working with QA um, and our localization teams is, is sort of the bulk of the job. But then at the other, on the other side, we sometimes I do get the opportunity to interact with fans and what, like you, like we're doing right now. And that's really the, often the highlight of our of, of, of the work because I finally get to come out of the cubicle and uh, kind of engage people. So, oh, you're wrong. That's the part. Because we're nasty people. You're not nasty people. Big yeah, fans are nasty people. You guys are the best. <laughs> oh, thanks. Do it, we do it all. For the worst people, then it would, then the job wouldn't even be worth doing in the first place, and that's absolutely not the case. So. <laughs> okay, he doesn't know what's done, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, big question. Why you guys get all the fan mail? Saying Yakuza Five and Valkyrie Chronicles Three and all that. Or is that Julian's uh, department as well? Yes. So what was the question? Yeah, what was the question? Uh, if, if you're the guy, if Sam is the guy who gets all the fan mail saying we want Yakuza 5 and Valkyrie Chronicles 3 and... Yeah, uh, I mean, what can I say? That's the fan mail I can I just, I can, over to Yeah, you. and I can, all I can do is like nod my head and say, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> 
can get tiresome a bit. I mean, a lot of that stuff is just making sure we're passing along. So, I mean, yeah. feedback comes in, feedback goes through. It's all a process. Yeah. It all happens. So keep on, uh, keep on rallying. Yeah, like, we'll keep make on sure rallying. We'll make sure your voice gets heard. That's the, the important part of my job, and it filters down to everyone here. So. Yep. Uh, so everyone, yes. go create some online petitions. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. I mean, petitions are kind of like frowned upon, but it does actually look at like how many people at a unique amount are actually uh, interested about something. So if you want to rally and you want to rally behind like a, a petition, like go for it. I mean, like by all means, talk about the stuff that you're happy and passionate yep. about. That's what we want. If there was a, like for, if there was an, a, 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 like a an avalanche petition of like a million users who signed this petition for something then I would I would that would probably show up in a presentation at some point like oh my gosh like a million people signed on this petition but I've never seen a petition that million <laughs> no, it's definitely it's one of those things where you just it's the, the the fans that are passionate about the game that they're passionate about like let your passion be known yeah and, you know and like understand that there's folks on the other side that are often reading that stuff and even if we can't even respond or kind of talk about it publicly, we're certainly someone out there that's reading it and interested yeah. in it. So. Yeah, I think people just have a hard time uh, understanding how how this whole thing works, how the, the, the circuit works inside inside the company. Sometimes, even even though you don't give any feedback uh, in regards to some uh, something they request or something they not request demand. Let's be honest, uh, but yeah, uh, that doesn't mean you're not listening, right? Yeah, the thing about listening is that it's often construed as doing. Um, listening is listening, and doing is doing. But listening is a part of doing. <laughs> listening influences doing. So, a lot of people are concerned about, you know, I asked for this, I didn't get this, therefore they're not listening. And a lot of times, you know, you asked for this, this went into the, the machine here at Sega. This is something that was hotly discussed, and the outcome uh, was influenced by that. And that's important to, to know that distinction. Um, and it's important to know that there's not a day that goes by where I'm not having a conversation about something that's happening at a community level that someone has said on the internet anywhere, uh, be it the Facebook, be it Twitter, be it forum. I mean, I cannot overstate that. Everything that I do in my job is directly related to what you guys are doing in your day-to-day -day passionate lives about the things that you care about. So um, always talk about what you're excited about, always. But, I mean, demanding and having high expectations for and all those things, like... You know, understand that you know things don't always work that way, but it's always a part of the overall conversation that's leading to the products they're launching any different time. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Okay, so uh, here's a question for both of you. Uh, maybe Sam would like to go first. Was working at Sega anything like what you expected? Um. That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know if I had any any necessarily expectations coming into Sega, um, it, but it was there was a, a time of uh, acclimation because um, so, most of my previous uh, jobs had very small teams and very small, close knit working environments. The fact that I I would actually have to walk up another floor across the building to like hand something to somebody was kind of a, a bit of a shock. I, I got used to you know I could walk to uh, the hot water thing when I was working at Atlas you could walk to the kitchen in like 10 seconds but it's uh, Sega you, it's like a to go get a cup of coffee I had to actually walk all the way over to the kitchen and get the cup of coffee and come all the way back so so things like that so there was a bigger company 
and you know a lot more people to interact um a lot more um sort of gears and wheels and and, and figuring out how things all, all mesh together so that that was definitely an adjustment uh, yeah, nice. I guess that's kind of the same for me. I've worked at other companies before, but uh, kind of working in a company like Sega. Sega is a international company, so you've not only got our local office within Sega of America here, but then there's Sega of Europe, which we interact with uh, a lot as well, and then uh, Sega of Japan, and then all the kind of little, the satellites, uh, smaller kind of groups that have been working in different territories uh, over the years as well. So um, it's can be really interesting when you're on a project you're not only on a project which is, which is with the people that are in your office you're working on something that's um that's completely international and you're getting conversations with people that are really international so i get in in the morning for example i have a lot of meetings with europe because like it's the end of their day it's the start of mine that's where we can sync up and have voice calls and like japan comes online right when we're leaving so that's what oftentimes we say when other folks are getting on video yeah. conferences and stuff like yeah, that. yeah i was i was in a, i was in a video conference until like close to eight 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 10 last night, you know, because I've talked to Japan. Because it's just the yeah. start of their To me, the, the change in international kind of thought and being a part of this larger kind of company image is really different. Yeah, it, that's actually a really interesting point. So, like, I think depending on what kind of industry and stuff you're working in, I mean, sometimes people can actually, um, you know, they go to work, they start work at their 9 o'clock, they get off at 5, and then basically business stops until the next day. But we, I'm getting emails... Yeah. All through the night because you know it's been, first it's Japan sending emails and then Europe comes on they're sending emails and then I get up in the morning and now it's time for SOA to start sending emails so it, so it constantly is going I mean it's a completely 24 hour kind of thing how that works yeah the world just keeps as the world turns like everyone comes online and it's just like yeah all feeds towards the thing yeah, it's really cool yeah. it's funny that you, you should mention that because the next question is actually uh, what are some challenges and advantages of working together with Sega of Japan and Sega of Europe? So, so I kind of touch that briefly. Well, I think that's kind thing. of depends per project per thing. Um, and actually, the 3D Classics is a really good example uh, of working with Japan and having like uh, passionate people on that side uh, talking about product, and then we're learning more about mm -hmm. the product, and we're being able to, to take that kind of knowledge uh, and pass it on to. Our level of consumer out here, um, which I guess we could kind of talk about with our uh, uh, perfect example is the the translated interviews that um, and how that kind of came about mm -hmm. was uh, Sam. You maybe want to just talk about how you were talking with Okunari-san. right? So it's yeah, kind of a uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt. We're actually going to talk about that later on, a bit later on. Okay, if you don't mind, because I, I'm actually curious about the the, the translated interviews. Okay. Maybe we can discuss that in a bit more detail. Yeah. So, um, so, so, so kind of building what, but on more what Jill was talking about, how you know, the advantages. I, I definitely think, from from my point of view, um, it, basically we're a very globalized company, and when you work in a single region, um, you get a very insular kind of view of how things work and how what what's right, what's the correct way to do things, and what's the wrong way to do things. But each region has a kind of a different way to approach different problems. And so while you get all, sometimes it's very easy to get like, I'm very right about this, but then when another region comes along and they pr propose like a different way of approaching something, it, it, if, if you have an open mind, often you can be like, oh, I, you know what, I kind of see where they're coming from on that. And so it's actually, you know, working in a global company really challenges you to, to have that open mind and, and be able to approach things um, in, in different lights um, and, and be open to suggestion and understand that your own region 
doesn't the way things work in your own region isn't necessarily the norm in other places and just being being flexible in that so that that's one of the what I think is like sort of a because that's not even just work I mean I think that works uh, in your in your life as a whole being you know approaching and interacting with different kinds of people yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Okay, well, so, this... Danny, next question. Yeah. Um, I guess you could say that this could be directed to both of you. Um, Sega's been doing pretty well on the mobile gaming segment with titles like Sonic Dash, Sonic Jump, All-Stars Racing Transformed, and even the upcoming Crazy Taxi, City Rush. What are your thoughts on the rising popularity of mobile games? Uh, that's actually a better question probably tuned to our mobile group. We have a separate kind of department that kind of manages a lot of the mobile side of things. Oh, they're actually not a department, they're actually a completely separate well, business unit. So. They are, they're, they're, they've got their kind of nose in the, uh, the mobile space better than we do uh, in terms of titles. Uh, and probably be a better, or more insightful question to ask them. Um, I think mobile, personally, is just like a different platform to mm-hmm. kind of expand on, and I think that um, it's an exciting opportunity to kind of bring uh, titles and experiences to just a new device, just like you have with any of the other devices you know, available in the console space. So, uh, yeah. More titles, more games, more people that love games. It's, it's, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, personally speaking, I, I think the uh, the death of the console market is grossly overstated. Uh, yeah, personally, um, they keep saying that that mobile is going to destroy. <laughs> Mark with the console. I'm not sure if I completely buy into that, but I definitely think you know it's a different platform. It grows the pie, but it also kind of slims the slices a little bit as well because there's more, more things being spread out. But um, I know I have a lot of friends who play a ton of mobile games who wouldn't play games otherwise. Um, so you know, like like Jalen said, you know, more market, you know, more innovation, everything, everything that's always a bonus for everybody. So. Well. Uh, do you, do you guys feel that it is the way to go for developers in the future? Depends on what you guys are trying to create, I think, as far as development goes, and I think that that's what kind of Sam was getting at and kind of what I am, too. If you wanted to create a PC game, I wouldn't necessarily be on a mobile device, or, yep. like, you know what I mean? Like, you have to frame the product for the device, and, uh, I don't think that there's, like, a future that's only going to be mobile right. gaming. I mean, like, like, let's give, let's give an, let's give a non-Sega example, just something really big, big. So, like, let's say, let's say, console markets were obliterated and console just went away, okay? And it was nothing but mobile left in this, you know, in this imaginary ground. Where would games like Last of Us go? These big, high definition, yeah, high, you know, like enthralling games that you want to play on your 55-inch television and 5.1 surround sound. Like, where do those games go? Where do they live? They can't, those games, you can do something like that on mobile, but you can't necessarily do that on mobile. So, as a result, I think that there's there's a place for both, both types of, of content. Yeah. yeah, I personally think that, uh, you know, as you said, there's a market for both mobile and console, PC and everything. I don't see uh, console gaming dying anytime soon, though. Personally speaking, it, it, I, I prefer to sit in front of my TV and play games that do, do that on my mobile phone. So. Yeah, I think it's a good point that like, if you're not interested in mobile content, then oftentimes a lot of the mobile content that's coming out may not just be what you're interested in, so it's maybe not a title that's necessarily kind of tuned to what you're looking for. Um, but that's fine, there's just different segments of people that are interested in different types of content. 
and then kind of maybe understanding as gamers what content is really geared towards us is what's going to develop the best experiences for us when we're getting those content. I mean, it also split. One of the challenges, though, is that back in like you know '90s and whatnot, you know, often consoles had a mixture of sort of lighter games and, and heavier games, and so you would play a heavy game and you play a couple lighter games like some Tetris or some Puyo Puyo or whatever, and then you hit your next big title. But often those lighter games have now been m- m- migrated off um, onto mobile devices um, because it's it's just better fit, and as a result, um, some of those some of those I want to say cash cows with it. Lighter, get them out quickly games um, have, have uh, I want to say evaporated, but, but the balance has kind of changed there, and that's something I think game companies in general are still trying to figure out. Digital distribution has really really helped fill that gap, but, but still, you know, um, when it comes to like a puzzle game or something like that, that's still just kind of, a, if you're going to sell a puzzle game, you kind of want to be on mobile rather than like console. Depends on the title, but yeah, just yeah, generally. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, that, that's exactly exactly what I think. I think w- what I expect from a mobile game, it's not the same that I expect from a console game. So I, I, I don't expect yet the same experience from uh, those different platforms. You know? So that's why I, I don't think one thing will um, destroy the other or anything like that. Of course not. I remember for years yeah. I was saying that PC gaming was going to die due to console. Yeah. <laughs> so here. So here. It's just people like to like to be like they like to say things like that. I don't yeah. Know it's well. Oh, it's like it's like having a favorite sports team, and when you buy into one st- style of sports team, then all the other sports teams are losers and are all gonna and, and their sports team is gonna be the winner. So I mean, that's ultimately what I think what it is. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Okay. Anyone want to play sports? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, okay, so I was going to ask you a question actually. Um, you've been involved in getting the Hatsune Miku titles released in the West, right? So, That's correct. Uh, what we want to know is what was your role in all of that? So, it kind of goes back to what I was discussing earlier. Um, so, I'd been working, um, I, I recognized uh, the um, Hatsune Miku and Project Diva's uh, potential um, pretty early. Early on, uh, after I joined Sega, um, I first started kind of getting into that that whole property, kind of late 2011, and started kind of pushing the executives to to, to let us um, do something. But we didn't, we just didn't, couldn't find the right opportunity. Um, and uh, but I did have to do go through a lot because no one no one really was aware of what Hatsumiku was. It was still sort of a growing phenomenon, very you know limited in the West. Uh, and and she's been seeing a lot of growth over the past couple of years. Um, so a lot of that um, sort of camp, internal campaigning has really paid off, and you know it actually ultimately built up to an op- a, a great opportunity with Project Bebeth. Um So all, all the planets aligned, and all the thing, everything came together, and we were able to actually get that one out. So uh, yeah, basically my role is uh, you know kind of just tra- uh, championing the, the product on the West, making sure everyone's you know uh, on board with getting it out, and then going through the whole localization process and getting it out. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the process, I, I don't know, at least for us, looking from the outside, uh, we actually saw the process as, as starting with a Facebook campaign led by Colin Weber, right? Yep. Uh, I'm not, not sure if that's how it started inside the company. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't really... So, so the, the Facebook thing was basically... Um, how do I put it? Actually, that's a community thing. I'm gonna let Julian handle that one. 
Because <laughs> that's more of a marketing community side thing, so I don't want to put my foot in the wall. Uh, yeah, actually, Aaron is the, uh, the start of that, and Aaron did a good job of building that through uh, our social and putting that out. Uh, and I believe it was just trying to kind of get fan feedback and get folks kind of talking about the title, yeah. um, which just kind of gets, uh, yeah the conversation level at the company. Yeah, so, it, it kind of, I guess, I, I guess galvanized is a good word for that. Um, it sort of, sort of galvanized the resolve uh, behind that, behind that property, and really helped us um, commit uh, on things that needed to be committed to, so we were able to push that thing. So is, is this something that you consider doing in the future to, let's say, feel the pulse of the fans, so to speak, uh, and know if you can bring a specific title to the West? I can't really answer that. I mean, it's kind of a difficult question that has more to do with... It kind of depends questions. on the title, right? Yeah, it depends on the title, it depends on the timing, and it depends on a lot of other stuff that I unfortunately cannot go into uh, as it's kind of more business level stuff that it just doesn't... It's kind of a non-answer, and I apologize, but like, uh, there's really more to it than a Facebook poll, I would say. It's probably the best way of kind of summarizing it. Um, a lot goes into bringing a title to market, uh, and that's one part, uh, but that's not the only part. So if there's ever an opportunity to do something like that, it's something that we would want to do. But I guess it's really just more important to understand that uh, it's a part of the overall process. So in the meantime, online petitions. <laughs> very different. Petitions are a good way to organize towards something um, versus just expelling a lot of noise that isn't very focused. I mean, lots of people can say a lot of things about one thing just say it 20 times, but that doesn't mean that you've got 20 people that are going to purchase that product or something. A petition is a person in an individual vote kind of cast forward that you can actually say, like, there's a number of folks who are rallying behind this. Um, and that's an important distinction. So I think that in the way yeah. of the Hatsumiku stuff, that is the kind of way that they're working towards it with that. Um, if there's other opportunities where we can do that, we we'll definitely will. Cool. So actually you just answered one of my questions regarding online petitions. But yeah, uh, so you guys are, uh, are listening, right? And are watching them, although you probably sometimes can't really tell anyone what's happening, but you're paying close attention, right? If you guys are talking about product, we're out there listening. And I think that's the important thing for us, for folks to understand. Uh, I want to know. I want everyone to know that everything that you ever guys are talking about, no matter what it is, is definitely being discussed within the company all the time. And it happens. It's been something we've championed over the years. It's something that we've kind of brought in. And I think Sam just talking about kind of coming over to my desk to just talk about you know, how is people perceiving this or that. Uh, and it speaks to that. We built your voice as a part of our. Uh, daily discussion. Okay. So, yeah, one last question uh, before we do another music break. Uh, and when we get back, we'll talk about the 3D Classics. But before that, I don't know if you can uh, actually answer this. This was sent by one of our listeners. Uh, can you tell us if there are any plans uh, for releasing the Project Mirai titles, the 3DS titles, uh, to the Western audience at any point? So, Corey, we have no plan, no, no, no announcement, no plans or announcements for that. So, okay. yeah, we're, 
Yeah, we can't. It's a, oftentimes people have questions about when are we going to see X or when are we going to see Y. We can't talk about product unless product's been announced. So yep. there's there's opportunities to kind of like uh, pitch about things you'd like to see. Definitely tell us what you'd like to see, but there's just not a chance that we're going to be able to really respond on the kind of what ifs uh, yep. the future might be kind of questions. Yeah. It's something you'd like. I am aware that people do talk about that title a lot. <laughs> I'm well, well aware of it. So. It's, not, it's, not, it's not like we don't over we're not aware that the pro, uh, Project Mirai exists and someone says, you guys should be bringing up Project Mirai and then everyone, people over here go, what's that? We should look into that. That's, <laughs> that's never the case. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, sound, sounds good. Anyway, uh, it's time to do another music break, uh, and when we get back we will have more with Julian and Sam. We'll talk about the 3D classics. Uh, right now let's play uh, a couple more of their music, musical selections. So we'll start with uh, the Knights DNB, a drum and bass mix uh, from Club Saturn. And we'll uh, ha actually have something special for you, or for you Takenobi Mitsuyashi fans. After that, it's the Space Harrier main theme live by the Sega Sound Unit Age. So this is the Sega Lounge. Keep it here. We'll be right back.
You're listening to the Sega Lounge with SSF 1991. Donnie. And KC. Only on Radio Sega. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, two, three. This is the Sega Lounge on Radio Sega, and we're talking with Julian and Sam from Sega of America. Uh, so we just heard a couple of tracks that they picked for tonight's show. We had uh, from the Club Seven album, the Knights Drum and Bass Mix Expressive Records. I think it's by Expressive Records, actually. Not sure. I think that one is uh, DJ Chrome. Or DJ Time, I'm not quite sure, but Expressive Records is the uh, the label that they're all under. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then we had uh, this was uh, of course picked by Julian and um, Sam picked the Space Harry main theme vocal version live by the Sega Sound Unit Age, uh, sang there by Takenobu Mitsuyoshi, and we're all big fans of Take Dude, as we like to call it on Radio Sega. Uh, nice picks, nice musical selection. I don't know where I found that one. I think I was, uh, I think, I think, I must have been uh, doing some some sort of research for uh, the it, it was either 3D classic or an older version of Space Area I worked on like years and years ago. But I stumbled upon that looking for the theme song, and I was like, "What is this? This is crazy." <laughs> We didn't play the the beginning of the of this recording because if you go to YouTube, 
and watch the video, you have the Takano with your shit going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that we actually use uh, on one of our shows as a sound effect. Oh, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. But uh, thanks for <laughs> for picking this one. This one. Uh, yeah. So yeah. let's uh, talk a bit about the 3D Classics range, right? Um, uh, so Donny, you want to you. Uh, get the uh, rolling? Yep. Um, May as well get the ball rolling with the first question. Uh, what was your involvement in the Western release of the 3D Classics? So, um, so, so my, uh, it's it's those those projects are, are essentially kind of a kind of a standard um, everyday kind of kind of project. Um, so they cut they get they're being built in Japan. Uh, I worked with uh, Okunai-san, who's the the producer on in, in our internal producer at SOJ, along with some individuals at M2, um, to you know they'll send over text files, we we'll get them translated. I'll check them, send them back. Uh, you know, the, the game gets generated. I got to put it through QA. Um, I work with our European side uh, uh, counterparts to make sure all the you know, the French and Italian, German, and Spanish is all checked off. And once the ROMs are ready. Um, you know, we uh, send them in the Nintendo and cross fingers. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so what about uh, you, Julian? So you have video so you handle the community bit? Yes. So my bit was uh, working very closely with Sam. By the time the products are kind of closer to, to getting out, uh, I work with our marketing team here and kind of devise a plan when's it coming, like what assets do we have access to, um, what can we get out that really highlights these products and really shows them, you know, shows them off and gets them gets people to really understand them, but then also we kind of really rally behind them. So, uh, and it's actually in working with Sam uh, that we discovered the well, Sam discovered the uh, interviews by talking about Chikanari's on, uh, and he kind of filtered them back to me, and then I ran a pitch with an artist here to get them translated, uh, so that everyone could basically enjoy them. Um, we thought they were really insightful, and just like we built on all this extra information that was really about these titles that really uh, helped generate a lot more. That was a really good uh, opportunity to, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just like a really good, perfect asset in terms of getting something out for people to read and consume and just learn and understand and be a part of that. Yeah, especially on the localization side, um, some, of those, some of those games can be surprisingly uh, challenging because, like, for example, um, like, you'd think the localization would be really straightforward because there's not a ton of text. It's just menu options, there's no big deal. But sometimes, you know, when you're working with M2, and this isn't unique to the 3D classics, it also happens to some of the pre previous titles I've worked on, such as the uh, Sega's Vintage Collection titles. But sometimes they'll have like an option in there that's really obscure. So, for example, I remember when I was working on Super Hang On for, uh, for uh, Sega Vintage Collection, uh, there was this option in there to switch between uh, Mini Ride On and uh, in the stand-up type or whatever and, I, and and you see these like options in Japanese and you're like what is this referring to like I have no <laughs> idea what it and if I don't know what it means I can't verify if you know the proposed translation is correct right so I have to actually get down and open up that my you know, group, uh, group, uh, my browser and uh, and type and start typing in Japanese and try to figure out what they're referring to and then eventually you kind of learn like oh there are completely two separate um, 
arcade kits for this and they had like different tracks and so the ROMs are all different. Like this is stuff I don't know. So you have to go through this really intense kind of uh, a process and sometimes I can't find the answer on the internet so I actually have to ask Ogunai-san and of course Ogunai-san, he, he knows everything. So he'll, he'll be like, oh, here's the answer and here's like two obscure web pages that will give you more information about these things and so, so he's always a great resource for learning about uh, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, what, uh, um, the 3D classics range is, is interesting because I think they appeal to at least two different types of people. You have the, the, the hardcore, uh, old school Sega fans that played the originals on the arcade for uh, the Mega Drive, the Genesis, and then you have uh, the new kids that have never played these this games before and are probably starting to become Sega fans because of Sonic or whatever, and want to, to discover more about the history of Sega, so I think that's nice. Yeah, I think it's opening it up. A lot of people are getting a 3DS systems, they're looking for titles to download, and I think that uh, these are kind of priced you know, cheap enough if you get in and get a title and get a good experience, mm-hmm. particularly if you're interested in kind of like... You know, a lot of people are kind of building these kind of indie kind of 8-bit games, but like Sega was the original... Yeah. 8-bit, or 16-bit, or what have you, that like we're creating these kind of classic titles, you can get in and have the original titles versus having something that's even kind of emulating those to what we did back in the day. Yep. And then these titles are like the best version of that, uh, for all the different tracks that are added. Um, yeah. So, yeah. on the one hand, you can be like, just face value, this game looks amazing, it plays amazing, and really like it. I hate to keep bringing up the blogs uh, and stuff that we did, but you know, you can read through that uh, article about whatever title and suddenly realize all the depth and information that went into it. Oh, that's why there's these different arcade kits. That's why uh, they added this, that, and the other because they do actually play a little bit that there are some subtleties to it. Yeah, I think I think budding get game developer, game designers, and, and people who want to get in gaming. Like if you're in your teens and you're like you know, 13 or 14, 15 year old, you know, you really I think it's really critical um, that those sorts of people still go back and look at these older games. Uh, you know, it, it, yes, you need to be you know playing your own current games, but I mean, you really need to, you, you kind of you have to go back to go look at the history and where things are coming from to really get a good idea of where things are going to go. Um, and, the, the, and these games can be really difficult because back then, you know, like like Spacer, I mean, it's built that game was built to be a quarter quarter muncher. You know, it's it's hard, and it, 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 we understand that people have their time is limited. You know, their their patience is limited, and they have. Plenty of options on other things they could be spending their time doing. So that's one of the reasons that M2 goes through and they add in additional features to like allow you to j- adjust the uh, the difficulty and adjust your experience. So you can like if you just want to review the game and be like, oh, that's what this game is all about, then you can kind of tweak the game experience to be exactly what you need it to be for your for your current situation. Yeah, it's actually awesome that people can just take their games with them on the 3DS okay. because. Uh, when the originals were released, we had to play them on our TVs and, or the arcades. <laughs> and now we can take them anywhere. It's not awesome, I think. Especially for, uh, uh, speaking personally, my, from my own experience, it's awesome to have a little box with all my uh, favorite Genesis games on them. It's awesome. Yep. We live in the future. <laughs> Welcome to the next level. <laughs> nope. 
I couldn't resist. <laughs> so, um, which one of your already released games is your favorite? Oh, we were talking about this. Uh, I have a couple, but uh, if I had to pick one, I, I lean towards Sonic just because I love the original, and I know that it's been out on many different platforms, but there's just one feature in there that I really like, the, the kind of throwback classic. Uh, it's the one use of 3D that's like not the typical use of 3D, where they just bend the screen to make it look like a tube. Uh, TV. I mean, we all take advantage. Uh, not advantage. Uh, take for granted, rather, like the, the HD displays we have. But mm -hmm. I played this thing on like a crap TV in my bedroom that was like a hand-me-down from like my folks, and it was like not very good, and like the signal was really bad, and it looked fuzzy. But so when I played that, for the, I was like, oh, okay, that's awesome. Like that's exactly what I remember playing this game. And yes, it has spin dash, and it doesn't so all the classic way. I still love it. I played that to death. I really, really enjoyed that one. Yeah, and M2 actually, you know, that the whole the, using the using like a shader basically to bend the screen wasn't actually. Other companies had done that before, but M2 was like they had they always have to make things their own, so they actually went in and, and made uh, made everything a little fuzzy on purpose yeah, yeah, to, to, to to make it look like it was being run and, over a composite cable. And the cable and on the corners on the edges, you can see the bleed between the colors, like you can with the original CD right. stuff. It's silly. Yeah, they're so good. They're so good. <laughs> so good at that stuff. Yeah. Um, for my favorite game, I would say uh, it's kind of a toss-up. All oh, right, we could talk. About it's a, kind of a toss-up. Like I think of, uh, between them, uh, I think the sh I think Shinobi, 3D Shinobi, runs amazing because for a couple reasons. One, the work that they did um, getting everything into 3D, with all that that game has tons of parallax scrolling, uh, and with all the work they went into to get the 3D look, it looks gorgeous. There are just so many scenes. Every time you walk into a new scene, you're like, okay, what kind of awesomeness? Can I expect in this next scene? In addition, it, it really helped. You know, the original Genesis version only had three buttons, and um, and there was a lot of functionality being stacked on a whole bunch of different buttons. But MT went in and they re they made it so you can actually remap a lot of the actions. So now uh, you're able to control a Joe in a much more agile way and, and be able to switch between using your sword, switch, you know, and your and, and shooty can and, and be able to pull up all these moves on individual buttons like blocking. Like blocking, I think, used to be a little weird on the original version, but now it's like, it's just a button push away. So you can, it actually makes the game play, play really, really cool and it almost feels like a modern game. Um, but I also think uh, the Galaxy Force 2 is just like, Absolutely amazing. I mean, yeah, you, you got to keep telling yourself that that game was made in 1988. <laughs> 1988. Yeah. And you play that in 3D, and you're like, this game was made in 1988. It just that's yeah. We were talking about this. It's amazing. The call and we, were, we talked about it. And I was like, but yeah, Galaxy Force, because that was the first time I played Galaxy Force 2, and I was just blown away, like how similar it is to current games we're watching in the yeah. market right now, and how it be like. This was in the arcade in 1988. That would have blown yeah. my effing mind. Yeah, but I mean, but, I mean, in, in fairness, when you guys when you play it, it's actually using the assets uh, that were um, true, built right. that were built for the PS2 remake uh, that was released uh, back in like, like 2006 or 2007, yeah, like that. Ages, right? Ages when, yeah. And so it does look a little better than it originally did, but even so, I mean, just gameplay wise and what they, what the team was attempting with the ass with the assets and the the hardware they had at the time. I mean, it's just wow, wow. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I, I think, uh, especially for the 3D uh, implementation, I think Galaxy Force 2 is really awesome. Space Harry as well, but uh, especially Galaxy Force 2. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so next question, Donny. Yep. Are you still um, alive? Yes, I'm. I'm still here. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> so um, as I'm trying to remember what the next question is. Um, in the meantime, Open Science on, uh, in the IRC chat room is saying this is making me want to buy a 3DS. And you should. You should. Good. If not for uh, anything else, for the 3D classics. Yeah, they're great titles. There's a lot of yep. good experiences to be had, especially these being probably some of the better versions of these, maybe even the best versions of these ever mm -hmm. to appear in any system ever released anywhere, yeah. outside of their original arcade, uh, mm -hmm. original console format, yeah. or even better in most cases, because they have all the extra features. Yeah, there's a lot of new features and stuff, yeah. Alright, I, I remember now which question it was. Uh, <laughs> have you tried any of the games from the second batch that was released in Japan only? If so, what's your favorite? Um, so I have played them uh, because, um, as you know, like I, I work closely with Okanai san so sometimes I have him like show me, show me what you're working on, kind of thing. Uh, so I've played a lot of them. I don't think I've ever played any of the final versions of any of them, but I've played uh, like you know, kind of like the alpha, beta, you know, rough implementations versions of them. Um, of all the ones that I've played, I, I I like Fantasy Zone the best. I just think it looks. I love the I love the colors in that game, and it, it just looks really great. Nice. I've not had a chance. Now I have to go back after this interview. I'll have to reload them all back up. They're pretty. The versions I have are pretty rough. Like they don't have like title screens and that kind of thing. So I'll use my imagination. <laughs> Uh, Fantasy Zone actually sounds awesome. Uh, to have the, the, uh, the 3D on the 3DS for Fantasy Zone should, should be amazing. Should be amazing. Uh, so next question. Uh, yeah, about the, those interviews. So you, you've been uh, presenting to the, the community some translated interviews with Okunari-san and Kori-san. Did you translate those yourselves? So, so those those interviews were originally um, created by uh, a Japanese uh, video game uh, site called uh, Game Watch, which is owned by Impress. Um, and the interview the interviewer, who I can't remember his name, is, is extremely talented, and he does a great he does a great job of pulling those together and, and writing those articles out. Um, I, I I did translate those myself, but they have been they were basically peer reviewed. So so ultimately, it's you know not really ultimately necessarily my translation by myself. Um, also, it was kind of the it was also the first time I'd ever done any translation like that as well. So it was kind of difficult finding the voice. So I was really appreciative of uh, of my uh, counterpart at SOJ who helped me review those. Um, but yeah, I, I was basically the one who who spearheaded that. It took me about. How, how many weeks did I work on those? It was all the way up until they released. So I think I think I spent like a, like four hours a day for a month and a half trying to get yeah, all these. Month and a half. Mm. Well, we got yeah. Have a short turnaround on them. Yeah. And we were working on them up until the, the day they got released. Most time. Yeah. Those were, it, it wasn't that. That is not an insignificant amount of text to to, to translate. It translate. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. We talk about this a lot, but the translation is not just word for word translation. You're getting a context. You're getting like the background behind it, you're getting their voice, like you're saying. Yeah. A lot of work into 
transliterating and then translating that back yeah. into an actual functional cohesive piece that's not just that one part which happens to be really long but yeah. then Ooh, there's eight of them, and they're all in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, because I, I, so I had basically had to translate them. When I originally translated it, because I, I did a, a, a quick translation of the Streets of Rage one as a sample for marketing to see is like, is this something you guys would use? Like, if I go through the month and a half it's going to take to translate these, is it going to be something you can use? So I had to translate like a sample of content is like to show them. And as I was translating, I'm like, oh man, they're back referencing like previous articles. So one of the things was was uh, marketing was gonna was gonna ask like what if we only translated like certain ones like for the popular ones and I'm like well I mean because there's a length of text that's applied to it and we have a certain amount of time and then Sam's working on the titles and like this is a significant chunk of work that's being applied to this workday so we kind of have to be tactful uh, in terms of what we deliver on and I think that you were saying you went through them and then you're like oh no 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 like I'm starting to peel it all back yeah there's all these layers and so if we're going to translate if we're going to do it we have to do it from top to bottom all the way through um, and there's not much that we can have to leave out because if we do then you know there are going to be back referencing things that we didn't translate and it's not going to make any sense yeah well we just made it so much more important that we would translate them all anyway though because of all the information that we were really gleaning out of them as we were kind of going through it but it put Sam in a tough spot it was, for us. It was, it was hard. But he produced a lot of good work, so I think everyone uh, out there that read those should give Sam a big round of applause. Because, uh, if it wasn't for him and his efforts, it wouldn't be... Uh, yeah, but but I can't take all... I can't because it, it was it was definitely... Uh, we also had... I also had my... Um, there's an individual named uh, John Rogers who works works in uh, CS3. He 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 also helps with, he also uh, helps on uh, Hudson Miku as well. You can find him in the credits. Um, and he was a, he was a big big help uh, in getting those uh, you know nice and smoothed out and ready ready for for shipping. He actually sits right behind it. You know, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, for, for uh, anyone that hasn't uh, hasn't yet read the, 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 the interview, they're kind of lengthy. <laughs> so I understand. <laughs> The amount of work that you had to do to, to, to translate. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. quite an undertaking. If, if you if you haven't yet read the interviews, you should head to the Sega blog and, and check them out because um, it really gives you a different perspective on the work that was involved in emulating those the, the, the classics and titles and bringing them to the 3DS. If we had outsourced that, that that volume of text, it would have been a significant amount of like money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I kind of wish I kind of wish they would pay me that much cash for that amount of work. But, yeah. <laughs> pay you in time. Yeah. I, so how, I, about, how about two rounds of applause? Two yeah. rounds of applause. <laughs> <laughs> I just want everyone to read yeah, them. Well, I want, that can be uh, that can be arranged. Although you can't hear the, the sound. If everyone stomps their feet really hard on the ground, maybe we can make the earth shake a little bit. <laughs> and then I'll feel it that way. Okay. Of course, we are living in San Francisco, so it might get as much as we are. So we, we have a question from the, the audience. Um, is Second of America involved in choosing which games are released as 3D classics at all, or is it just a Japanese decision? Um, it's not. It's not. It's not either or. Um, everything is discussed thoroughly. Um, and I actually wasn't involved with the selection process. The project got bootstrapped uh, before I was involved with it, so I don't. I'm not 100% sure um, how that played out. But it's 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 a collaborative process. 
Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so yeah, uh, the next question is kind of yeah, you would probably answered it, but uh, what's the criteria behind the decision of which titles get a 3D remake? Is it popularity, the ones that will be easier to work on, or those that will work better in 3D? All of the above. All of the above. Okay. Um, so I do I do know that um, when Okunai-san was looking at uh, which ones to propose, he was definitely looking at um, what the, the sales were, how, how things performed on Wii's virtual console. That's a, that's a great way to seeing the popularity of, of some of our old classic titles because there's on the Wii, there pretty much everything went up on the Wii. There's pretty much all of our Genesis and all our titles went up on the Wii. And they were up pretty early on, so, and, and we all know that VC was extremely popular, one of the Wii's uh, really popular features, so there's actually, it's actually a great measure as to, like, how um, popular a classic title is. So that was part of, um, we all, there was also, some some titles were, were dis- some potential titles were discarded by M2, uh, well, M2 saying this one's going to be really difficult, or this one's going to be really hard, and uh, there's these technical challenges. So. There's a time frame in which these are being built in as well, and that's important to note. So right. certain titles that may take more time to build, yeah. um, just by nature of being difficult. Uh, yeah. Time is money. Time is money. You know, it, it, and it, the longer it takes to get something out, um, you know, that means there's less lifetime, less lifetime of the platform itself. Uh, so, you know, yeah. that, which profits. So, it's a lot, there are lots of things like that. They're all considered um, before things are actually school. Right. So, the next question: um, Echo the Dolphin is an excellent game, but many people consider it a cult classic nowadays. Not everyone can see past the difficulty of the original game and how awesome it is. Do you know why it was picked as one of the first 3D classics? I'm not... I think they might... You, I would first refer you to the Dev Diary on that one. I think they might actually talk about it, but... Um, oh, and that's right. They used they, they brought Hasegawa-san in for, the, uh, for that Dev Diary. He's a really good guy. Um, I'm sure I'm not... Again, I don't really know, because I wasn't part of that selection process, but it, it ultimately would come down to um, how, how popular it seemed, you know, it was judged to be, uh, how easy or difficult they thought the game would be to um, to, to trans or not translate it to convert and uh, other factors such as that. But uh, but in the new version, you know, you know, yes, you know, classically, yes, that's a very difficult game. But you know, the new version, the 3DS, uh, the 3D classic version, has uh, features that allow you to like be invincible and like move through the water without having to worry about running out of oxygen, etc. So it actually, you know, people who couldn't clear the original have the opportunity to actually see. Uh, how crazy that game actually gets to be. So. Yeah, I was actually one of those guys that uh, got frustrated by Echo back in the day. I got it yeah. for my, my, my Mega Drive. Uh, uh, excuse me, my Genesis. My... Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so and, uh, I kind of got distracted by the fact that you had to solve the, solve the puzzles and um, run for air at the same time, so I got frustrated by that. And I actually dreaded, dreaded that game for uh, Green Dog, the beach surfer dude. Does anyone know that game? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm sure that one. It's, it's, it's interesting, it's interesting. But yeah. uh, um, then later on I, I got Echo 2, and I loved that game, and I actually regret it. Um, uh, that I put it in Echo for another game. So, 
So still on the, on the subject of Echo's difficulty and how it was turned down a bit with the inclusion of the, the Super Dolphin mode, right? Um, do you guys think that as gamers we're lacking the skills we once had in the 8-bit and the 16-bit era? You mean as, as adults or as like a gaming community? Like us, us as adults have our have our skills gotten worse, or do you mean like gamers in general don't have the skills? Both probably. I think well, at, at least for me, like um, basically, it's it's just it comes down to time. Like I just don't have the time to commit like eight hour, eight nine hours of my Saturday uh, to playing one game. Uh, you know, I have a family and responsibility and all that sort of stuff. So it ultimately comes down to um, busyness. But also, there's like so much content out there that consume compared to what there used to be that, uh, you know, you just kind of want to move through things. You want to see some progress so you can get on to the next thing. So I, I think that's part of it as well. I mean, having options is nice, and I think that's what really makes this one a modern game versus kind of like an old school classic. And the classic environment would be just to kind of throw everything at you and kind of have to discover it. And then when you're playing it in the back in the day, like your whole life is different in terms of how you're playing games, what you're doing with your life, you're doing school, you're not doing like work, you don't have like a family and other things that are kind of maybe buying for your time. Um, whereas you can you can basically invest that time and it can be valuable for you. But uh, in a modern era, uh, it's nice to have the option to, if you want to take on that challenge, boom, it's available for you, you can have that. But if you don't, and you still want to have a good experience, boom, you can do this and still have that good experience. And then both of those people can still kind of talk about the title and talk about their enjoyment of it. And maybe someone will be like, oh, you should definitely play it without the Super Dolphin mode. Like, you'll see that this becomes so much more difficult. And even if you know the layout, it can actually become uh, that much, much more uh, enjoyable. So, I don't know, it just kind of opens up the game to more people to really pick it up and really play it and understand it. Yeah, it's not bad. Okay, so um, you you talked about your favorite uh, games of the 3D Classics, but all of them have a feature or a twist that was added to the original game. From all of those twists, those different nope. settings and whatnot, which are your favorites? I kind of mentioned the Sonic one earlier, with like the, the screen kind of tweaking for like the old bit. Uh, so that's just to reiterate that one, very good, very fun. But that, but the, 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 the addition to Sonic, the specific addition to Sonic was the Spin Death. Yeah, Spin Death. Oh, Spin Death was good. Um, I was going to say something else and then now you just totally obliterated your your mind your thought process <laughs> um, oh, I liked all the arcade stuff that was added for uh, the individual stations for uh, Space Harrier or Galaxy Force 2 and the, yeah. the background arcades that are in there as well it might, it might, it's sort of a little known fact, fact but Galaxy Force 2 actually supports Circle Pad Pro which actually, which actually makes it closer to what the original oh, really? uh, oh. yeah yeah if you have a Circle Pad Pro it actually you can use that and you can change all the settings but by default it, it, it maps the fact that um, I believe in the um, in the original arcade version, it had like a had like a joystick and a throttle, I think. So that's that's really awesome that they you know the into went out of way to support that. I didn't know that. Awesome. Oh yeah. Let's see. If I if I just browse through the settings, I I'd know that. Okay. But thanks for letting me know. Sure. <laughs> so guys, seg education. Just like I was. Just like I was. Floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Wow. <laughs> Go ahead, Tony. No, I was just saying wow as you said the education pin. <laughs> okay. So, Apparently it's uh, directed at you now. Uh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, Opus Science in the IRC chatroom just said, uh, while you're talking about the virtual console, uh, are you guys at all concerned about the chatter online about how Nintendo seems to be struggling right now? Do you think Nintendo has a smart to turn things around? I can't really talk about that from a Sega point of view. A good question for the forums if you guys want to yeah. chat about it. Nintendo has been around a long time. They've, we they've weathered storms before. Okay, so we've got a couple more questions before we head into the last music break, and when we get back, we'll have uh, a little challenge for you guys. Uh, but before that, uh, since E3 is coming up, um, would you like to uh, let us know what's involved in getting ready for E3 from both your points of view as community manager and television producer? Yeah, it's basically just a lot of planning. I think either anyone in the company right now is everyone is working towards uh, the show. It's a big deal. It's uh, a yearly event. Uh, work often starts in the office as early as January in terms of getting everything up and prepared. I'm sorry, guys. Um, and it's actually happening next week. So a lot of the stuff right now is just uh, you know planning uh, what we're going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to be on floor uh, both demoing and then uh, working on uh, updates from our blogs and taking photos and kind of just being there to try and get as much of the show out to the Sega fans as possible uh, from inside the booth. Um, and that actually is a, it's a pretty lengthy process in terms of coordinating with developers and coordinating with internal teams and making sure that we've got everything kind of coordinated and kind of uh, geared up. Uh, and then once we get the floor on Tuesday, it's all going to come out. So, yeah, very exciting. From my side, it's just get make sure the demo is ready. It's really straightforward. <laughs> make sure the demo is ready. Okay, so uh, what what is your average day like at E3? Standing all day long. Yeah, and talking. So those are your. Every it's very average. You you stand, and then you stand. And then you sit down and eat some beef jerky and drink a bottle of water <laughs> for 10 minutes and then you stand up and go back and stand some more. Of course there's a lot of talking and, and smiling and nodding your head and saying teach, well, teaching people how to play the game. But you know. so Yeah, depending on what you're working on and, and where you're, uh, you're often demoing, so you're talking to people about the games and you're giving them their first experience uh, to that title. Uh, uh, either it is their first or... Uh, another kind of chance or a different kind of content mm -hmm. or whatever it is, but it's oftentimes something you've played a lot of, something that they've never played. So it's kind of interesting to kind of have that, this is how you play, this is a lot of information, and trying to convey that out to people so they have a really good experience. Um, not talking too much, letting them play, and then kind of coming back, they got questions, uh, making sure that, you know, PR folks are getting uh, in for interviews, and there's a lot of scheduling around that. Um, the E3 show is a massive machine where everybody's moving from booth to booth and kind of getting as much information as they can so that they can write about it for people that are kind of falling along at home. And uh, we're just kind of enabling that from uh, the Sega side, making sure that everyone gets the, basically the best experience they can while they're kind of moving through our booth. And so 
on my side, actually, the last year and the year before, or this year as well, I spent a lot of time with my nose in a laptop, uh, reading a lot of responses that are coming through, posting a lot of content, taking a lot of photos, uh, but I'll also be kind of demoing our show as well, uh, where I can, kind of selling people for lunches or um, taking on any other extra work that I can. I mean, it, the entire company comes together to work on it. Everyone, all hands on deck. Everybody to help. Yeah. Yeah. And stand, just stand, stand there. Yep, I just teach people how to play my... <laughs> okay. Get them excited about it. <laughs> I've, had, I've had a game at E3 every year uh, since, since you know, I joined Sega, so... First year it was uh, Sonic Freeriders, and the next year I think it was Rise of Nightmares, and then the year after that it was... This year it was... This year, it's, this year it's uh, Project Diva F second. Last year it was Project Diva F one. No. Yes. Is that, is that, is that, is that, is that, I wasn't looking at that. Actually, no. F one might have not been at E three. What about last year? So everything just runs together as, at one point. Yeah. Okay. Drawing a blank. I'm trying to remember. The, I'm trying to remember what the floor plan was last. I don't even know what Sam did last year. This is a problem. <laughs> getting old, guys. We're getting old. It's crazy. Oh, oh, I remember. No, that's because I didn't. I wasn't at the Sonic at Sega booth last year. Oh, I was at the. Party. I was first part. I was at Nintendo showing off Sonic Lost World. That's what. That's right. Oh. That's what. Well then. That's why I was throwing me out. I'm trying to trying to imagine what the Sega booth looked like, and I don't, I don't remember what the Sega booth looked like because I was standing in Nintendo. <laughs> but you were standing, right? right? I was standing along with Mr. Frost and uh, Mr. Ogasawara. <laughs> okay, okay. So, Donnie, next question before we head into the music break. Yep. Uh, what are your favorite Sega games? Both of you can answer this, by the way, if you wish. That's a broad question. Put on my most favorite. I have uh, a special place in my heart for anything Fantasy Star, saying that that's the title that kind of brought me into this company uh, and has changed my life so much uh, in so many different ways. <laughs> um, so Fantasy Star is like one of my top, top titles. Um, Fantasy Star Online is a good one. Um, as far as my other favorites... I think actually, if I have to think of it, it has to be Fantasy Star. Yeah. And I've played so many other titles, and I really love a lot of the, the games that I guess made. But like, uh, that is that has been the game changer for me. That's, yeah. that's where I started. This is where I am. Yeah. For me, it's a, it's definitely Project Diva. Just kind of the same reason. Uh, you know, I've played a lot of Sega games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but uh, the Project Diva series definitely has a special place in my heart. One thing that I forgot to mention, uh, Sam, you worked on uh, Binary Domains, right? I did work on Binary Domains. Oh, I love that game. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people give you enough credit, because it's possible. Yeah, I actually have... There's a uh, uh, Easter egg. Uh, I have, I have like, two voice lines in that game. Really? Yeah, I have, I, there's, like, two two minor NPC characters that I voice. <laughs> so, if you can find them, we'll power to you. <laughs> 
Now you're going around. Now you have a reason to walk around and talk to every every NPC if you hadn't actually done it. Immediately after. <laughs> what a learning okay. experience this has been. Sega Education, folks. Folk. <laughs> okay, now, now, Danny, can you ask the last question? This, this one is the last question. Yeah. Um, again, this is directed to uh, both of you, but uh, what are your favorite non-Sega games, and what have you been playing recently? I have been playing everything recently. Favorite? I mean, man. I've played so much stuff. This is yeah, I mean, favorite games are really hard, especially when you've been playing games for since the 2600. Um, the games that real ultimately are like reflect like where you were at that point in time. So um, yeah. I, I don't think there's. I can't be like this game is the best game ever in my entire life. But uh, you know, kind of, you have to ask me on like a at this age or this generation, what would it be? Uh, but I do, I'm a big, in the current gen, I'm a big Dark Souls fan. We're missing Dark Souls. Uh, between one and two, I'll probably have like, you know, 180 hours and 90 hours in. Uh, I did play a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, Oblivion on Xbox. But, uh, a lot of Skyrim. I play basically everything that comes out as much as I can. Although I've not done Dark Souls yet, so. Good person. Uh, play, right now I'm split amongst many different titles, um, but the ones I've sunk the most time in, uh, Diablo 3, a lot of that, uh, I think I have over 400 hours on that. I'm actually playing Diablo 3 right now, I'm trying Sorry. to catch up. I'm starting. Um, also play a lot of FTL, big FTL fan. I'm playing a lot of Plants uh, vs. Zombies, the shooter, it's on. Yeah. My wife and I play that, and it's fun because you, they have like a tablet version that's kind of like the original... Like the sun to the action kind of yep. stuff. Have like the multiplayer. It's creepy. It's fun. Yeah. I actually oh. have been playing a bit of Plants vs. Zombies on the Xbox 360. Yeah, it's super fun. Game. Okay, so I think uh, we're done for this uh, this bit of the interview. So we're going to take a break. We're playing one of Sam's picks for. Uh, Okay, sorry, got distracted by the IRC. We're playing <laughs> one of the tracks that Sam picked. Uh, this is Aquarium Park Act 1 from Sonic Colors. When we get back, uh, it's time for our weekly challenge for our guest. Hmm, let's see.
This is the Sega Lounge on Radio Sega, and this week we're joined by Julian and Sam from Sega of America. Uh, and now it's time to throw a little challenge at the guys. A little easy challenge, actually, uh, because you, you guys don't know this, but uh, here in the, the Sega Lounge, we every week our guests have to go through some sort of challenge. Or, uh, last week. Uh, our guests uh, had to guess what uh, uh, some uh, reverse uh, Sega songs were. We reversed them and played them uh, the, the songs that they have to, uh, to answer, to guess what the songs were. So I think you guys got it easy this time. Because we're just asking a, a couple of questions to each of you. So we have three questions for each of you guys. I'm lifting 1,000 pounds right now. I'm lifting it over my head. Confirm this to the crowds. I'm speechless. You can, you can record that and send us the video. You just have to take my word on it. Oh, goodness. I don't know. I don't know. But so we, we have uh, three questions for each of you. Uh, we have three questions uh, for Julian regarding the community. And we have three questions for Sam, uh, related to Miku, the 3D Classics, and one of the games that he worked on. Uh, what, so. what does it mean if I can't answer? Does that mean I'm like a failure? I don't know something. So, who wants to go first? I'll go first. I'll let Sam, Sam steal them. I like the, the enthusiasm. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll go first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Johnny, do you want to ask these questions to Julian? And I'll ask the, the, the questions to Sam. Alright then. Okay. Oh. So, question number one. This is one of my uh, personal favorite. Um, is, Son is Sonic Paradox A, a website dedicated to writing fanfiction about Sonic traveling through time, B, a website dedicated to animation, music, and art created by Sonic fans, and C, or C, a freeware alternative to Microsoft Word? I believe the answer is B. Is the answer B? It's a fan site, right? Done. Uh, considering I'm actually part of the staff at Sonic Paradox, you'd be right. Yes, okay. <laughs> Shoot! <laughs> I like the, 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 the freeware alternative to Microsoft Word. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sonic yeah. Paradox. Sonic Paradox. <laughs> I, 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 wanna make, I want that to happen now. I'm going to go uh, contact the staff now and make that happen. <laughs> okay, right, so... Me with so one point to Julian. Yep. Right, I'm in the clear. <laughs> so it's my turn yep. now with Sam, right? All right, Sam. So, uh, first question for Sam. Uh, in the Vocaloid universe, two characters are described as two voices of a girl and her mirror image of the opposite gender, just like twins. What are their names? 
Uh, those are the, the Karamine twins. Uh, the girl's name is Reen, and the boy's name is Len. Okay, you didn't have to listen to the options, so yeah, that's right. <laughs> one point for Sam. Okay. Reen and Len. Fill in, the, fill, in the, fill in the blank answer. Stop. Sam knows everything about me. Okay, so, Donnie. Yep. Um, number, uh, question number two. Which one of these is an uh, Echo to Dolphin fan site? A. Caverns of Hope. B. Sega16bit.com. Or C. Uh, Sega of America World. Not Sega of America World. SOA. SOA World. Well, yeah. <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> I was typing the first one. They were tweeting about stuff the other day. Uh, although Sega 16 and their forums constantly talk about titles of that type, but they're not dedicated to it, so I have to go there. And you're right. Kevin's of hope it is. One point for Julian. So, Sam, question number two. I'll wait for the multiple choice this time as well. Okay. <laughs> I think you, you'll need to, to, to listen to the others. Uh, question number two. In Binary Domain, one of the characters is Kane, a combat robot built by IRTA friends. His name is based on his serial number. What is his serial number? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Option A. C A I N one Option B C A N Option C C N seven This is where I know man that was a tough one What was B again? And C A N C A dash N actually I wanna I wanna say I'm gonna go with C. I actually don't know this one. CM-7 Let's go for it That's your final answer That's my final answer <laughs> And you're right <laughs> So that's his serial number uh, yeah. It's not familiar It seemed vaguely like I'd, I'd, seen, that, I'd seen that somewhere before So, phew Nice, good <laughs> Okay, so Point for Sam And done, you're up Yep so, question number three. In what year did Radio Sega start broadcasting? A. 2006 B. 2008 C. 2010 Or, completely unknown answer, just last week. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> right? Last week? Seems about week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> question. I'm going to have to... I, they won't get this one right. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> I feel like you guys have been around for a while, so I'm going to go with uh, 2006 because uh, I feel like we have done work with you guys uh, since after I came on to the community stuff, which was broader, which was more in 2007, uh, in 2008. So I'm going to say about them. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> so you're in so you're 2006. And you're right. It's yeah. cool. Productive reason. <laughs> so, so uh, I remember that Julian gets three points out of the possible three. It's awesome. I remember working with you guys early on, and that was before we moved over, which would have been before 2008. So right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or to the new building. Okay, so last question for Sam. This is a tricky one, actually. If you thought the cane one was hard, this is a tricky one. Uh, <laughs> question number three. What is the name of the diner that appears at the beginning of stage one of Streets of Rage? Uh, or if you want, of 3D Streets of Rage. Okay. Option A. El Devo. Option B. Pine Pot. Option C. Phone Booth Fried Chicken. Uh, this is going to be a guess. See, I don't know this one. I'm going to go with B. B! So, your final qu your answer is B. Pine Pot. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 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 and you're right! Oh, wow! <laughs> it's the Pine Pot. <laughs> three out of three. Wow. Familiar. So, oh, you guys really know your stuff. So, okay, I think you, you're good to go. You can get back to your jobs at Sega. You have you our have permission. A, a guy that just popped in the office that just I haven't seen in ages. If you guys remember Fabian from back in the day. Yeah, Fabian. That means trouble, man. That means trouble, trouble has entered the office. So we so got to go. go run and catch him. But thank you for okay, your time. So thanks for joining us, guys. It's been great. Thanks a lot. Yep. Yep. Okay. Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right, we gotta run. Thanks. Okay, bye bye. Okay, bye. Okay, so uh, that was interesting, Donny. It was. I especially love the first question I uh, asked. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're sorry. We we wanted to ask a couple of more questions, but especially we wanted to ask about uh, Shamu Three, a whale on a quest for revenge. But yeah. And we, I, I think we were all curious on if uh, what uh, what they would uh, what exactly they would add blast processing to, uh, blast processing processing to uh, yes. and why. That's our <laughs> trademark question. Yeah, <laughs> because well, yeah. blast processing is our uh, it's it's that's that's our uh, Lord and Savior. In, indeed. So screw screw the screw the helix fossil. We have <laughs> blast processing. <laughs> Yeah, so maybe they'll catch the podcast and maybe they'll send us the answers uh, to that one. To, and uh, actually, if they can uh, hint at something related to Shamu 3, a whale on a quest for revenge, that'd be nice yep. as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so that was uh, our interview with uh, Julian Malfeld and Sam Mullen from Sega of America, and it was a great. A great interview, I think. It was informative. And uh, yeah, that's it. that's it. So thanks everyone yep. for joining us for this uh, special edition of the Sega Lounge. Let's, uh, however, before we go and before we play the, the final song, the track that was uh, picked by Julian as well, and it's an awesome one uh, once more, let's just uh, briefly talk about the next uh, shows that are coming to the Sega. Uh, in a couple of hours, we have RSN Live with voice at uh, midnight BST, so in about, about two hours. Just tune into Radio Sega and listen to uh, Voice's show. And of course, tomorrow, uh, Rexy is back with Sega Mixer Drive. Uh, 
the two hours of Sega remixes, which is also always great, I mean. Uh, Saturday, the Late 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 Afternoon Breakfast Show with Shadow Remix at 4pm BST. Uh, so tune in for that as well. There won't be a random hour this Saturday, this week, so um, I don't know if we'll have anything to fill in for the random hour, but nothing's planned by right now, so who knows? Just tune in to Radio Second. If you don't, um, even if we don't have anything to fill in for Radio for random hour, we have the awesome 24/7 stream, so there's always that reason to tune into Radio Sega. And Glitch is back this Sunday at 11pm BST with Gavi Glitch at 11pm on Sunday. Of course, um, I'll be back with Radio Sega's Top 40 Countdown next uh, Monday at 8pm BST and we'll have more news regarding um, the upcoming special dedicated to the Sonic Zone Remix competition. So don't forget to tune Wait. in to Radio Sega's Top 40 Countdown uh, as usual at 8pm on Monday. So there's that. Uh, there won't be a Sonic News show this week either. Right, Tony? Um, well, I, I would like that special dedicated to Shamu 3 though, but uh... Oh. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> uh, dang it. Um, but yeah. Um... The Sonic News Show, there is actually going to be a Sonic News Show on Sunday. Oh. Um, it's a miracle, I know, but, uh... <laughs> there it's your here, Casey. Uh, yep, it is the pre-E3 show uh, special that's supposed to be on this Sunday. Speaking of the E3 questions we asked earlier to yep. Julian and uh, Sam, um, there will be some predicting of the uh, E3, uh, what we could expect at E3. Uh, I'll be rating the... Uh, E3 hype, you know, pretty much rating on how uh, well each company did with their overall hype leading up to E3. Um, going through all the turn times that are scheduled for the big E3 events, all the conferences, and et cetera, et cetera, and pretty much giving the lowdown on any Sonic news, and yes, I will actually be giving my full and uh, unedited and uncensored uh, opinions on the overall song boom news we got and the reactions uh, this previous week. Needless to say, if you guys have been having a drought in ranting for me, you probably will like what you're going to get then. <laughs> That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> but that is this Sunday at, I do believe it was at a special time considering it's a special show. But um, after this show happens, we will be going. I will be going back to weekly shows. At least my intent is. But I'm thinking about potentially doing a uh, slight formula change, where I might be cutting down the amount of topics there are in half. Because um, I think ten is a little too much now. What with the um, news that we get daily, it's just not that much at all. So I'm probably cut it down in half from ten to five as a result. But it's not final, but it's something I've been kind of debating on. But um, that it'll be five o'clock p.m. Eastern time. That's nine o'clock GMT, nine p.m. GMT, and ten p.m. UK time on June eighth. That's this Sunday. So it'll be literally the last thing that you'll probably hear from me before E3 itself um, until the coverage starts tomorrow, so or the day after. So yeah, yeah so I have a lot if to talk people about. want to uh, catch the show, what's the link? 
you can go over to sonicparadox.net and you can scroll, easily scroll down at the very bottom of the page and you can find the stream right there. Or you can click the stream tab that's at the top of the website. So there's actually multiple ways of getting there, but the main place you go to is sonicparadox.net. And we may just have a uh, Microsoft Word on there too. So uh <laughs> Sonic Paradox. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I still yes, want to make that happen uh, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Watch out, Microsoft. Um, yeah, we, we actually... Um, I, I want to apologize to Trini and to um, Open Science uh, for not mentioning some of their questions uh, because the guys had to, had to run. Uh, Trini asked, what's your opinion on fan-run events like Sonic Revolution? Um, I mentioned a couple of the open science uh, questions to the guys off the air, actually. Uh, we, uh, we talked about um, Sega making a Sonic game that picks up from where Sonic 3 and Knuckles left off. We talked about that. We talked about the HD remix of Wonder Boy 3. Um, we didn't ask them to commission the open science collective to make music for a Sega game. Uh, but if you, if Sam and Julian are listening to the podcast version of this, uh, know this: the Open Science Collective are very talented, and they'd like to make music for a Sega game. And they don't care if it's a rubbish game that's destined to flop. They just want to work with Sega. So uh, here's our uh, advertisement of the week, and we're expecting to get some uh, pay after this. Open Science Collective. So <laughs> I think we'll uh, send you our PayPal accounts, and you can send us some. Uh, right, Tony? Yeah, you can be the very best that uh, no one ever was. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How many references? Uh, how long did it take for me to actually make a reference? Well, to be fair, I did make the next level reference earlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can't. When when will I ever get through a Sega lounge where I don't actually make a reference? You know. I don't know. But uh, speaking of that, let's play this sound effect. Doodly, 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 doodly. It's what I think it is, isn't it? Uh, no, it's doodly doodly doo. But yeah. Of, of I, can course. Also, I can also play. Die. You, you picked. You you waited until our guest left to actually put that MP3 sound effect in there, did you? Actually, I played uh, the sound effect at the beginning of the show when I well, talked then. about doodly doodly doo. Anyway, so, uh, so basically, anyway. you conspired against me. Okay, then. Um. Yes, 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 we're all conspired against you. But uh, one last thing to talk about: uh, next week's guest. Yeah. Guest, which uh, is going to be awesome. Next week, we'll be joined by Lizzie Silvers, uh, that you probably know on Twitter as uh, at Lizzie Silver or Catalizzi, yes. Uh, I think that's her nickname. Uh, she'll be on the show next week to tell us the story of how Sonic helped her survive a brain tumor, which is going to be amazing, I think. Don't you think, Tony? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure that her story is going to be quite of inspiration to quite a few people too, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be great. So if you want to catch the Sega Lounge, uh, of course you can uh, also download the podcast that will be available shortly on RadioSega.net. So just click the media button on the main website and you can uh, browse through all podcasts and you'll find the Sega Lounge. Episode 2 will be up there shortly, uh, the next couple of hours I think. 
or you can also uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, actually, Stitcher is coming shortly. It's not currently available, but it's going to be coming shortly. Uh, and of course, we'll be back next week at 8 p.m. BST. That's 9 p.m. Central Europe uh, and a bunch of other time zones that I can't really remember right now. Maybe you can help on it. KC is time travels. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, it's, let me see, uh, 3 p.m. Oh, Eastern, Eastern, so that'd be noon Pacific. Yes. That'd be 1 p.m. Mountain Time. Okay. That'd be 2 p.m. Central. That'd be 3 p.m. Eastern, as I said. That'd be 4 p.m. GMT. 5 p.m. Uh, UK oh. Time, I believe. 7 p.m. GMT. 7 p.m. I'm completely blanking out. Uh, <laughs> And so, the partridge in a pear tree. Yeah, the second so. lounge is, is time travel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're both time travels. Both That's probably why we uh, <laughs> we can't think of anything appropriately, and we uh, lose track of all the questions we had. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's been great, uh, this episode of the Sega Lounge. Be sure to catch us again next week for more. Uh, and for uh, our interview with Capalizzi uh, or Lizzie Silvers, uh, don't forget to tune in to uh, RSN Live in a couple of hours' time on Radio Sega and keep on listening to RadioSega.net because we're playing the best Sega music 24-7. The next, uh, the final uh, music track that we'll play during the show is picked by Julian from Jet Set Radio. This is Magical Girl. I've been KC. Uh, that guy over there has been Donnie. Say bye bye, That Donnie. guy, yeah. Goodbye, Tony. Goodbye, Tony. Bye, Tony. And this has been Casey Senpai. Notice me. <laughs> yes, because you're you're way over there on the other side Yay. of the pond. Ocean Senpai, notice me. <laughs> but okay. boy, that didn't take long. It didn't take long after our guest left for me to go this route. <laughs> I'm trying to be professional. Why? What, what's it like to be professional? <laughs> I don't know. I still don't know. One day, maybe. Seriously, though. <laughs> Seriously, though. I, I don't want to be a professional. It's just worth that end of the show, so hey. <laughs> yeah, okay. So yeah. this has been the Sega Lounge. And we'll be back uh, next week. Uh, stay tuned for Jet Set Radio Magical Girl. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
is social. Like us at facebook.com slash Radio Sega and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Radio Sega. Radio Sega, playing the best Sega music 24-7. 